0: And now, and now, it's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal, because sports and metal go better together. Now, here's your host, Jason Voorhees, (laughs) and Aaron Savage. Oh yeah. Hey, I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Johnny. Yu. Tune into our radio show, Philly Rock Live. We play the classic hard rock and metal from the 70s and 80s we grew up on. We play the new music those same bands are making today. And we play new music from around the world. Not to mention the great bands from our own local scene. You will not hear a mix of music like this anywhere else. If it kicks ass, we, we play, play it. Philly Rock Live. Thursday, 7 and 9 p.m. Philly time. On phillyrockradio.com. Listen online with your mobile device or even your smart speaker.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports and Metal podcast. We are your co-host. This is Aaron Savage with me, as always, my partner in crime. There he is, Jason Voorhees. And uh, we're very happy to be here this morning. We got a big show ahead of us, a lot of big news in the sports world in particular uh, that we're going to get into. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to give a big shout out to our number one sponsor, La Terrain Watches. You're going to want to check out their website, www.laterain.com. That's www.la-t-o-u-r-a-i-n-e.com. You're going to use our promo code, S M. That's the letters S-N-M, as in sports and metal. And you're going to save 10% off your purchase at checkout. If you haven't checked out La Terrain, please visit their website and check them out. They are the number one best affordable handcrafted watches on the market. Check them out lottery watches. So without further ado, let's get started. What's going on, Jay?
2: How are you? Dude, I'm doing awesome. It feels like, you know, feels like we never left this place. It's like, <laughs> even though we were on a break again, it's it's great to be back. It's great to be able to shoot the shit with my best friend. Uh, and, you know, I definitely, there's a lot of news that happened that we got to get into. So Yeah, none bigger than what we're going to jump off with. Um, The sports world has lost a
1: legend. Uh, The recent passing of legendary Dodgers broadcaster, Vince Scully. Uh, Vince Scully, obviously, he's known, you know, as the Dodgers broadcaster. I mean, he broadcasted Dodgers games since 1950 until he retired in 2017. So um, he was 94 years old. He passed away. Uh, But, I mean, he also did national broadcasts. He did NFL. um, Some of his biggest – I'm a Mets fan. For me, you know, there's none bigger than the 1986 Game 6 Buckner call. You know, Um, ground ball trickling behind the bag. It gets by Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. And the thing that made Scully so great wasn't just what he said, but it was oftentimes what he didn't say. You know, after that play transpired, he says, and the Mets win it. He didn't say another word for about two minutes. He just let you hear the crowd roar. He let you see the Mets going crazy on the field. And he let the cameras pan into the Red Sox dugout where they were just sitting there dejected in tears and disbelief. And he basically let all the images tell the story. And then after two minutes of silence, You finally hear him come back and he goes, if a picture is worth a thousand words, you've just seen a million words. Ingenious, ingenious. And similar thing with the great Kirk Gibson call in game one of the 1988 World Series. You know, Kirk Gibson, you know, wasn't able to play. had the leg injury. The Dodgers were an improbable team that year. Nobody expected them to be in the World Series. They won 88 games in the regular season. Um, the Mets were a powerhouse in the National League. Won 100 games. They had just won 108 games in '86. So the Mets were like at the peak of their powers. They were the heavy favorites. It was a you know a huge NLCS between the Mets and the Dodgers. The Mets actually had an amazing win in Game One. You might remember Jay. That was when Oral Hyzer had like that 57 consecutive inning scoreless streak that set that broke Don Drysdale's record. So he had that streak to end the regular season in '88. And he continued the streak into the postseason, pitching a shutout against the Mets in game one of the 88 NLCS. And the Mets finally broke through in the ninth inning and won that game one. So in, in a sense, even though the Dodgers were huge underdogs, they did have that game one advantage with Hershizer on that run. Mets pulled it out. So once that happened, it even seemed more unlikely that the Dodgers would win that series. Then the Mets eventually had a three, two, three games to two lead, or it might have been 2-2, two, two, and they were going to take a three games to two lead. Dwight Gooden was pitching into the ninth inning, a shutout, and he gives up that home run to Mike Sosha. Still remember that. I mean, just when the ball landed, it was like a pin drop for a Mets fan. But changed the whole trajectory of the series. Dodgers win it. Go to the World Series only to face the even more heavily favored powerhouse Oakland A's, who who were at the peak of their powers in 1988. Bash Brothers, Dennis Eckersley, who reinvented the game as as a relief pitcher. You know, Kirk Gibson was out, like I said, with the injury. limps to the plate hits the improbable home run off of Deckersley. And again, Vince Scully, long drive, it's gone. Then doesn't say a word for two minutes. Let's the crowd tell the story, right? And the players. And then after two minutes of silence, he comes back in. In a season that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. You know, he's also known, you know, Vince Scully was on the call for Joe Montana's throw to Dwight Clark in 82, the catch. I mean, what can you say, dude? I mean, the longevity, the iconic voice, goosebumps listening to him. I mean, he's as much a voice of my childhood as I'm sure Harry Callis is for you as a Phillies fan or Bob Murphy would be for me as a Mets fan. I mean, Vince Scully was that guy, even though he was a Dodger, you know? What what can
2: you say, Jay? I mean, I I can't really say or do it justice, like – how about we queue up the video, because the video, the video is what when I listen to this guy like and his calls. It's not obviously when you see it, you know see him on camera or whatever, but it's it's just goosebumps. Like regardless of the team, like obviously I'm not a Mets fan, but just because it's a Mets, like I I know it's not like I just want everyone to know. It's like not like we're being biased here. Like this call to me, I actually thought this call was more iconic than than the call. Dodger call only because of the fact that the Mets hadn't won a World Series since 1969.
1: Like, yeah.
2: and, and we'll get into this 86 postseason.
1: Series. Yeah, I, I'm going to piggyback off the on the 86 postseason. I was just kind of revisiting it because of Scully's passing. And we'll get into even the ALCS a little bit. But why don't you cue up the video? Because like I said, it's not always what he said, Vince Scully. It's often what he didn't say. And that's what made him iconic and, to me, the greatest of all time. Cue it up. Let's look at it. So the, so the winning runs run is at the second base, base with two, two out. Three and the to Wilson. Movie.
0: Little roller up along first. Behind the bag.
1: If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to game six of the 1986 World Series. The Mets are not only alive, they are well,
0: and they will play the Red Sox in game seven tomorrow.
1: And,
2: and 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 just one day be able to practice
1: virtually uh, a little glitch there yeah unbelievable call uh, um and, and it's it's even more goosebump inducing when you put the call into the context of what made it so amazing the mets won 108 games in the regular season the mets had just come off that epic to to, to this day I, it's the greatest series ever played the mets versus astros 86 national league championship series um, you may recall that was the year Mike Scott was unhittable. You could not hit Mike Scott. Won the Cy Young Award, won 24 games, I think, a sub two ERA, 300 strikeouts in an era where nobody struck out. So I mean, it's and this guy came out of nowhere to do that. You know, Mike Scott was a Met earlier in his career and wasn't that good. He was an average pitcher, but he went. You know, he met Roger Craig. I think it was taught him the split finger fastball. It changed his career. He was unhittable. The Mets couldn't hit him. So you know, in game one, the Mets lost second game they put the pitch against the Mets at the game four, they lost. And if, and it got to game six, the Mets had the three, two lead. The game was in Houston, but the Mets knew if they lost that game six, that they were going to face Mike Scott in game seven. And they had no confidence that they were going to win game seven against Mike Scott and the Mets. Every player to a man would tell you that. So they needed to win that game six Mets were losing three, nothing in the ninth in that game, six NLCS against Houston, Bob Nepper on the bump. I think it was Keith Hernandez led off with a triple, started a rally. Long story short, Mets scored three in the ninth. Tie that game. The game ended up going 16 innings. Um, at one point, the Mets took another lead. Astros tied it. I remember Billy Hatcher hit the home run down the line. I remember him walking down like this, trying to keep it fair, hit the foul pole. Eventually, the Mets took, I think, a two-run lead in the 16th. Jesse Orozco, I think, was in his third or fourth inning of relief. Throwing, he was just on fumes at that point. And the Astros put the tying, and I think winning runs on base with two outs. Orozco eventually gets the strikeout. Mets win that game, 16 innings. Most people still call it the greatest game ever played. Meanwhile, in the AL, the Red Sox were playing an epic series against the Angels. And I, and the reason I'm getting into all this is because Al Michaels was on those calls. And Al Michaels was recently quoted as saying his biggest influence, bar none, is Vince Scully. He basically said he modeled his entire broadcasting career and style after what he learned from Vince Scully. So we go to the ALCS. Like I said, I think the 86 postseason, regardless of the teams involved, is the greatest postseason ever played. You have the 86 the ALCS. The Red so- the Angels had taken a three games to one lead in that series. They were in California. Um, they had a two-run lead in the ninth. No, a three-run, I think, no, a five to one lead in the ninth. It was five to one, I think. And I have some notes here to remind myself of it, of what happened. So, no, it was five to two in the ninth. Buckner let off. Bill. So, this is how this is so transcendent because, as you know from the, the play we just watched, Bill Buckner became you know public enemy number one in Boston. His whole he had a great career, you know, great contact hitter, great defensive first baseman, one of the great contact hitters of his era, and he became known as the guy who let the ball go through his legs. Like his entire career was erased because of that one play. As unfair as it is, that's what happened. But here's what led to that and led to the Donnie Moore suicide. And the improbable World Series matchup of the Red Sox versus Mets, as we just described the Mets getting there against all odds. Five to two in the ninth. Bill Buckner leads off with a single. So Bill Buckner at this point is a hero. He starts the rally, right? Then Jim Rice strikes out, future Hall of Famer Jim Rice. Then Don Baylor hits a two-run shot, right? Then Dwight Evans pops out. So it's, not, it's obviously a 5-4 game now, but we have two outs. Then Rich Gedman gets hit by a pitch. Then Angels manager Gene Mock brings in Donnie Moore, who was lights out. I think he was a top five MVP and Cy Young finish and finisher in 85, continued the success into the 86 season. He comes in to face recently acquired Dave Henderson. The Red Sox acquired Dave Henderson from Seattle mid season 86, and he was hitting below 200 the rest of the season for the Sox. He hadn't done much. It was so he was a disappointment. Also, earlier in that game, he made an error that led to a two-run homer. The ball hit off his glove. That contributed to the Angels' 5-2 lead. So this is how like, in, this is how deep this all goes. He went from goat to hero. Donnie Moore's in there, has him with two strikes. What happens? Henderson hits a two-run shot in the top of the ninth to give the Sox the lead. The Angels actually tie the game but eventually lose it in 11. And then the Red Sox destroy him in game six and seven in Boston, win the series. Donnie Moore was never the same, eventually signed a minor league deal in 89 with the Royals. Got cut mid season with a six plus ERA, and then a week after getting cut, he knew his career was over. He was obviously had a demons from the home run or whatever else, shot his wife and then himself. His wife survived. Donnie Moore died. So there's so many layers to this. And then I go back to Al Michaels. Al Michaels. Al Michaels made the iconic call of the Dave Henderson home run. And if you get a chance to watch the footage, it's very similar. He, Henderson hits the home run and there's like a minute of silence where Al Michaels just lets you you know soak in what happened. Um, and then obviously the world series is history. So obviously maybe there is some bias for me just like, cause I'm a Mets fan and that whole postseason, I'm not a Red Sox or an angels fan, but the whole postseason was so in, there's never been a postseason before or since where, on all levels. Every series was so improbable and, and impossible, which is kind of like harkening to the Vince Scully, 1988 call, but it's true that 86 postseason Vince Scully epitomizes it. He epitomizes it. So I know I'm a little going on a little bit of tangent, but I just wanted to get into that 86 postseason a little bit because it just makes Vince Scully's call that much more iconic when you think of all the things that led up to that play and the things, the fallout from it. Bill Buckner isn't in that position if Donnie Moore doesn't blow that game. Bill Buckner was also the guy that started the rally in the, in the ALCS that led to that Red Sox improbable comeback. And then here he is, the GOAT, because he got there. Improbably. <laughs> it's improbably. Like, and then there's the Jim McNamara, the Red Sox argument that he shouldn't have even been out there at that point because he had a bad back. Um, Then there's Mookie's argument that he would have beat the ball out anyway, even if Buckner had, had fielded it. It's just such an iconic play, such an iconic call. Um, I mean, rest in peace, Vin Scully. I don't know if you have anything you want to add about Vinny before we move I mean, on I because think- we lost another
2: legend. Honestly, I don't think you really have to say much. I think just hearing that kind of that that call, but I mean, if you go back and go on any of his iconic calls on YouTube and just listen, like that's all you need to do is listen. And that just shows the greatness of Vince Gully. And obviously he's on the Pantheon. He's he's on the Mount Rushmore of broadcasts. I I don't know what else to say. So I'm gonna say the greatest of all
1: time. I'm gonna say the greatest of all time. I mean, he, he did all sports. He, he he wasn't just baseball, you know. Uh, we lost another legend, Celtics legend, Bill Russell. Very tough loss. In 1980, I believe it was the Sporting News. I'm going to double-check that. Uh, but in 1980, Bill Russell was voted the greatest NBA player of all time. Good morning, Phil. Checking in here. Bill Russell was voted in 1980 the greatest player of all time. Obviously, we've since had guys like Michael Jordan, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, LeBron, but Bill Russell's impact on the game can't be understated. Uh, he won seven NBA championships with the Celtics. He was also the first black coach after he replaced Red Auerbach. Uh, he was an Olympic gold medalist. He was a NCAA champion with the USF. What can you say? He redefined the defensive game in the NBA. Rest in peace, Bill Russell. You know, I'm not the biggest basketball guy, but what can you say?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you kind of hit on it. Like, he was arguably considered, the, the, you know, the best NBA player of all time. And obviously now, with with so many great ones coming since him, obviously, you, you know, you think of Michael Jordan, obviously LeBron. They're always in that conversation. But I think Bill Russell is, is definitely underrated at this point because I, I think a lot of times people forget how great he was. I mean, not, not just the championships, but like, he wasn't super, he wasn't a superstar offensively, but he still put up decent numbers at six foot nine. But the more impressive thing to me is he's second only to Will Chamberlain and Will Chamberlain was like one of the tallest players, you know, to ever yeah. dominate the game. And Bill Russell did it at six foot nine. So what he did defensively is his ability to rebound and, and, and block shots and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just think it's absolutely phenomenal, and yes, he's definitely, uh, you know, slept on when, when when we talk about the greats because I think today it's kind of he, he's kind of pushed to the back burner, and definitely deserves, uh, you know, a lot of credit, and he he definitely will be missed by a lot. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and look, but obviously him and Chamberlain
1: were contemporaries. I'm pretty sure in the head-to-head, Bill Russell had a huge advantage. Uh, in their head-to-head matchups. But even beyond the playing, I mean, Bill Russell revolutionized the game, obviously defensively, but becoming a black coach. I mean, I'm saying as a black man, what he represented. He went through racism. He's kind of the Jackie Robinson of the NBA in many ways. I mean, he stood up for racial equality. He, I mean, we can go all day about it, but Bill Russell's importance transcends the game. And, and he represented the Celtics dynasty. I mean, when when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the, the two teams I thought of was the Lakers and the Celtics. I mean, that, that was it. That was where NBA, for me, began and ended. You know, and he represented the, the Celtics dynasty in the early days. So, you know, rest in peace, Bill Russell. True. Anyway, let's move on to some other sports news. The MLB trade deadline recently passed. And the biggest news was Juan Soto being dealt by the Nationals to the Padres. Obviously, we all know. Uh, The Nationals, I think it was a 15-year, $420 million deal. They had offered Soto earlier in the season. He turned it down, which on one sense, we're all like, wow, that's shocking. And I still would say that because it's crazy money. But on the other side of the coin, just knowing what the market is, I get it. Because, you know, the average annual value of that contract is far below what guys like him are getting. So I get that. Um, But obviously, loyalty means nothing in sports, you know, because 15 years is a long time. He could have been a national for life and made plenty of money, but it is what it is. But I'm still shocked that he was traded this year. I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen a trade where a 23-year-old superstar was traded when he's still under control for two more seasons after this year. I know you brought up pre-show Miguel Cabrera. That's a good one. That might be the only one that's on the level because – I went back and looked. Cabrera was in his fifth season. Um, which I believe Soto is as well. So in that sense, it's comparable, but it still blows my mind. It still blows my mind, dude. And and the haul that the uh, nationals got is definitely gonna, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna benefit from it. I'd be shocked. I mean, it's like a huge deal. They got a ton of top prospects. And the biggest loser in this was Luke Voigt. Because Eric Hosmer was supposed to be included in the deal, but he exercised his no trade clause. So they had to include Luke Voigt in the deal. And now he's been sent to baseball Siberia. And he was on a team that had World Series aspirations. (laughs) Or at least playoff aspirations. So poor Luke Voigt. But, I mean, it's crazy, this Soto deal, bro. It's crazy. And now what what I'm thinking is, dude, didn't the Padres already recently sign Tatis to, like, a 10-year extension to buy out his arbitration years at crazy money? And they have the Machado contract. Am I am I right about the Tatis Junior deal? Yes. Yeah, so if,
2: so here's the deal: if, if Juan Soto gets anywhere close to what he's look, what he's been reportedly asking for, the five hundred million, that the, the Padres will have a billion dollars in three players. Yeah, yeah true. So they did. They did give Tatis yeah. that deal, right? Yeah, they I did. think it's four fifty or something. That's crazy. And, and that Machado three hundred million for ten years. Yeah. so yeah, it's definitely I mean, it's crazy. Um. I uh, see. Here's where I'm at about it. Like I think Juan Soto is definitely in that. Once again, you and I have always talked about the fact that the term generational is used so loosely today in any in any sport. Like you hear that term thrown out all the time, and it's like, dude, not every player can be a generational player if if you want that meaning to have any any meaning. Yes. Uh, but if there was a guy that you would consider the next wave of generational guys, it, it is. It's the Juan Sotos. It's the it's the Ronald Acuñas. Now, here's where I disagree with Juan Soto. Like, I get everyone has a right to their, you know, wanting their worth and, and, and being paid top dollar. But listen, Juan Soto, yes, he's come up at a very young age and he's done a very good job. If you look at the numbers, he has great numbers. But Juan Soto, to me, is still not on a Mike Trout level as far as what Mike Trout's done for years. And, of course, Mike Trout got at the time, the highest contract, what, it was 450 million. To me, a guy like Mike Trout could say, yes, I've earned that. I've done that. Whereas a Juan Soto, I'm not saying eventually he won't have the kind of numbers that Mike Trout has, but he doesn't yet. And to have that kind of attitude, I wouldn't want that kind of player on my team. I'm just speaking as, as. Okay, a- but, what, but, <laughs> what,
1: but let me ask you this. What, what are you basing it on that you think he has some attitude? Like, it, whatever well, attitude you're thinking he has, like what are you I'm basing
2: thinking on? on? His, you know, basically brushing it off as if like they didn't offer a good offer. Now, I yes, it's it maybe not market value, but I don't know. I just well, think, here's my take on it. I, I don't it tell I you don't look at it that
1: way. I don't. I, like I said, we both agree it's sick money, and I think it's crazy that somebody would turn it down. But we can't look at it from our living rooms. We're not making millions of dollars. We're not athletes that are on TV every day. We have to look at it through the spectrum of how an athlete and his agent would look at it, which is what is market value, right? Like, you're in your career, you're going to want to get paid market value. If this is what market value is in Major League Baseball, whether we like it or not, that's the reality of it. I don't know it necessarily say, says that Juan Soto has any particular type of attitude because he turned down that contract. I think it's safe to say that if the Nationals had come in with an offer that was more – to his liking, he may have signed. We don't have any reason to believe he wouldn't have. It's not like he was like an asshole and said bad stuff in the press. He just simply declined an offer. And he has two more years after this year of arbitration years. The Nationals didn't have to trade him right now. That's what makes the trade so mind-boggling to me. The Nationals didn't have to make this trade. I guess the reason they did is because they figured they're in such a rebuilding phase that by the time Soto was going to become a free agent, the the timing wouldn't have lined up for their plan. And it was probably better for them to get a hall of prospects now to start building forward to when they're going to be a winner. I mean, that's the only reason I could think that they would trade him now. I mean, that's obviously got to be the reason because they didn't have to do it. They didn't have to do it. But I don't necessarily think it says anything bad about Juan Soto. I think if we're going to play that tit-for-tat game, we could start saying bad things about every player, including the ones that we like. Because what's the difference of your boy Bryce Harper? The Nationals did the same thing with him, Jay. I mean, there's so many guys. Anthony Rendon. This has happened in Washington for quite a while. And this happens with all teams that are in smaller markets. It is what it is. And I, and I think sometimes a team that we didn't think was going to play with the big fish as far as spending, it happens. The Padres have done that. I mean, who are these Padres? These aren't the Padres we've seen in the last 20 years. Who are these guys? But it's in that sense, it's good for their city. But overall, it's just bad for baseball, whether it's Juan Soto or anybody else. It's sometimes, and even as a Mets fan, I've seen the Mets sign guys, and I'm like, ah, you know, I I admit it, it would be better if some of these guys stayed with their teams. It's better for the fans. Like, way back when, wouldn't it have been better for the Oakland A's fans if they had been able to have Mulder, Zito, and uh, Hudson play their entire careers together in Oakland? rather than them all leaving to big free agent contracts. But it wasn't a reality because Oakland plays small market baseball. Well, let's
2: play so, devil's advocate. I don't think it's fair to vilify a Juan Soto when it's Look, just the way the game is. Let's play devil's advocate. Why would he want to play for the Washington Nationals? They suck. They've gotten okay, rid of so there all you all go. Then it's even in more defensive. I, so I think that's the real reason. If, if At the end of the day, I think if the Washington Nationals didn't just get rid of all their good players, they didn't get rid of sure. I mean, they win a, they win a World Series and then they get rid of everybody. I, I think understand. if if the Nationals maybe had kept some of those guys, maybe Juan Soto stays. So that's probably the real reason. I don't think it was as much a money grab per se. And maybe I'm, yes, maybe I'm overstating the opinion of, you know, I haven't heard anything bad about his attitude as far as, you know, off the field. I am just basing it on the fact that, he had a contract, and I just—he well, I mean, didn't have a contract. He's, right. he's, he's playing year to year. the he, way he's still, the game, on,
1: he's still on his first six years. He's in his arbitration. It's year. The way
2: that the game has went, and you're right, all, a lot of these players are doing it. You know, Bryce Harper did it himself. Like a lot of these guys are doing it. It's just frustrating to me as as, as a fan to see that so many players don't honor their contracts or they kind of force their way out. I mean, because you could you could really say that he did force his way out. He could have played. They didn't have to trade him. You're right. But he didn't have to give his all either. And I didn't see him giving his all. Like, if you watch some of the games, he wasn't running out balls. Like, it, it wasn't like, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, look, I'll, I'll, I'll admit
1: that I don't I'll sit and watch Nationals games every day. But I haven't heard anything well, that he saw, wasn't I hustling. saw
2: some plays when they played the Phillies where he, he wasn't like, he just didn't look like he was I
1: don't know. I, th- I think sometimes that's just us speculating. I don't – because, like, you take certain athletes that are so gifted. Sometimes as fans, we think they're not hustling, but it's just because they're so graceful at what they do. It, it looks effortless. Again, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't see the players you're talking about. Yeah, I haven't I heard, heard anything to that effect. And, that, and in fairness, again, I've seen plenty of major leaguers in this era quote-unquote dog it, like not running out, you know, routine pop-ups that could get dropped and they could be on base, but they don't run it out. I mean, that's – a fucking plague in in Major League Baseball. That's just a modern athlete. So it's tough for me to get into that. You brought up Mike Trout. I want to get into this for a minute. I'm going to say something that might be a lightning rod comment. You ready? I think at this point, Mike Trout is probably the most overrated player in Major League Baseball. And I'm going to tell you why. This guy hasn't been healthy since 2016. He has not played a full season since 2016. And... In the last three years, obviously 2020 being the shortened season, he hasn't even reached 300 at-bats, and he's hurt again now, and now he's got a back injury that, for all we know, could be career-threatening. So I'm not knocking Mike Trout, but I'm saying when you're talking about comparing Juan Soto to Mike Trout, that's completely unfair because Mike Trout's Trout's contract was based off of his earlier career contributions. No different than Juan Soto's will be. So, I mean, that's just the way the game is. I mean, half the time you give guys 10-year deals, you're not getting value out of the 10-year deal. Because guys age, and you're basically paying for what they did in the past. That's just the reality of it. But I will say this. Juan Soto, dude, is not overrated. Right now, at least. He is a superstar. And you could look at this year's numbers. The one stat that jumps out at you is the 249 batting average. But, like, if there's a guy that's hitting 249 where I don't take a lot of stock in it, it's him. Because if you look at his peripherals, they're all right where they always are. And his strikeouts are actually down. He's striking out less each year. This is a guy that's becoming like an Albert Pujols type hitter as far as having power can hit for average and doesn't strike out. Whereas you take a guy like Mike Trout, this is a guy that strikes out 170, 180, 190 times a year, which, you know, Mike Trout earlier in his career had blazing speed. He brought a lot to the table. You know, he could hit 30 home runs and he stole 50 bags. Guys like that, when they lose their speed, that's a big part of their game, and we've seen that with a guy like Mike Trout. Whereas a guy, a guy like Juan Soto, his game isn't relying on speed like Trout's was. I'm not knocking Mike Trout. The guy was a superstar. And he's a great major league player, and he's one of the best of this generation. But, like, I think his name gets thrown out way too much when we think of great players because there's a lot. I would take Mookie Betts over Mike Trout right now. We've had this discussion. I would take Devers on Boston over Mike Trout. I mean, there's a lot of guys. Like I said, these might be controversial statements. But I think he's and what has Mike Trout done in, in LA? They don't oh, win. Is that they his don't fault? Win.
2: Aaron? Is that his fault? Once again, Once I'm not you, saying it's his fault. I man. disagree, Aaron. Like, but wait, but wait, wait, wait. Let me, wait, say, wait, wait, let you me talk. Disagree. You just went on a I am. I'm letting let you, you talk. talk. Go, go, talk, go. Okay. Because I'm tired of it. Go, go. Talk. Mike Trout, this is why he's a great player because he had those numbers and now he, yes, you're right. He's been hurt and he has amazing numbers still. That shows you how great he was early in his career. And you're right. Maybe at this point in his career, he's over 30 years old, so he's not as young as these guys. Juan Soto's 23, dude. Like, you can't compare. You're right. Juan Soto today, yes, is a better player than Mike Trout. Mike Trout's been in the league, what, since 2011? I think you're so,
1: missing my point. Nobody's not. arguing the greatness of Mike Trout. What I'm saying is, as great he's as, as he, he's been overrated, but hear me I, out. I don't
2: think you could say I'm a player that a has the numbers that he's past. had early in his career that compare to the all-time greats is overrated. I don't think you could say that.
1: Dude, what yeah. I'm saying is, dude, what I'm saying is this. The way I look at Juan Soto, I like his skill set better than Mike Trout's. Again, you're taking it the wrong way. I'm not knocking Mike Trout. He was a great player. But again, a lot of Mike Trout's game was relying on speed. Once the speed decreased, his game isn't what it was. He does strike out a ton. What I like about Juan Soto, he's 23 years old, and he's already put up insane numbers, just like Trout did. But Soto has done it without striking out a lot. And even this year, the one stat that's kind of not where it always is is a 249 batting average, but all the peripherals are right there. And and that just tells me that the batting average is an anomaly. It's going to go up. And – you're saying about Mike Trout's contract while you're kind of knocking Soto and saying, oh, you know, you were saying, I, I don't like that he turned down the money. Mike Trout's the best player to get. You brought Mike Trout up. That's the only reason I'm talking about Mike Trout. Juan Soto is worth every fucking dime that Mike Trout is worth. That's all I'm saying, Jay. And when, when the Angels are paying Mike Trout that kind of money and he hasn't played in five years, more than 80 games, I Stop. It just tells you all contracts are based off what guys did earlier in the career. You can't knock Juan Soto for that. Well, Juan Soto hasn't done what Mike Trout has done. Hasn't he? Whoa, wait a minute, Jay. First of yeah. all, first of all, Juan Soto's a, won a World Series. Now, you just said, oh, is that Mike Trout's fault? No, but it does count for something. Juan Soto had Max sure i But Jay, it's, I'm, I'm not, you're, you're going to get into something that's a total different conversation. I'm not saying, oh, Juan Soto himself won a World Series. I'm saying it counts for something.
2: That's, you could talk okay? about the greats. You could talk about great players that haven't won championships. How about Dan Marino? Your point. Your point. You Dan Marino, dude, never won a Super Bowl, but yet you say he's in among the greatest passers. Hey, so why why are you focusing on one little thing that I'm saying? And not about, at the you point? just said because Mike Trout hasn't won a World Series. That's not what I, I said, Jay. That's you just, not made the video back. You
1: said Juan Soto won a World Series. No, I'm because I'm trying you're to give wrong, you a resume. Wait, you're I'm wrong. trying to give you a resume, and you're stopping me after one part of it. Uh, let me finish. Let
2: you, you haven't let me get a sentence out.
1: You said this whole show. you said what has Juan Soto done?
2: Uh, you said what has on, Juan man. Soto
1: done? I mean, wait, did you or not ask me what Juan Soto has done?
2: Yeah, what has Juan Soto done as far as long term? He hasn't played as long as Trout, so obviously he hasn't had.
1: What we're talking no. about earlier in the careers. Jay, you're going all over the place. Wait a second. In 2018, that was when Juan Soto came up. In 414 at-bats, he had 77 runs, 25 doubles, 22 homers, 70 RBI, and he had 292. And he was 19! Then, in 2019, his first full season, he had 542 at-bats, 110 runs, 297 total bases, 32 doubles, 34 homers, 110 RBI, 108 walks, struck out 132 times, which is high for him because as I said, his strikeouts have been on a downward trajectory. Whereas like Trout's a 180 strikeout guy. He stole 12 bags and hit 282. Then in the shortened 2020 season, he played 47 of the 60 games. He had 39 runs, 13 homers, 37 RBI in 47 games, Jay. 41 walks, only struck out 28 times. So his strikeouts started coming way down and he had 351. Then last year he had 313 502 at-bats, 111 runs, 29 homers, 95 RBIs, and strikeouts came down to 93. This year, in 353 at-bats, he's only struck out 62 times. So now his strikeouts are consistently on a less than 100 strikeout per season pace. He has 21 home runs. We have two months of the season left. And he has 46 RBI. He was on a terrible Nationals team. And he has 64 runs. All I'm saying is that's a huge resume for a guy that's just just turned 23. I just added the World Series as, like, a a bonus point. You're, like, taking what I said as, like, oh, that's the be-all end-all. No, I'm with you 100%. Ted Williams, one of the greats of all time, didn't win a World Series. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying you're focusing on one little point that I'm making. All I'm saying is Juan Soto is, is to me, the best player of this generation, and he will prove it. The guy's an unbelievable talent. That's all I'm saying. And you brought up Mike Trout. I didn't. I'm just bringing up Mike Trout because you're saying he got a 450 million dollar contract. That contract is what he was was based off what he did earlier in his career. That's going to be no different than Juan Soto, and I believe Juan Soto is going to be more of a value during the life of the contract for the reasons I stated. Mike Trout's speed has declined. He's got back problems. He hasn't been healthy in five years. That's all I'm saying, Jay. That's
2: it. I guess we're both speechless. <laughs> Obviously, we disagree. I, I mean, that's that's OK. We're allowed to disagree. I can't. I'm not. I, know I can't. What we're disagreeing about. Listen, Aaron, I can't. And I'm not ready to say that Juan Soto will be at the end of his career better than Mike Trout. I'm not prepared to say that. He because I've be. seen I've seen this rodeo too many times where guys have great beginnings of their career and it's derailed. So I'm not going to say that. Of course. I will. Trout's an example. You. I will agree with you that at this time, moment in time today, as we speak, Juan Soto is a better player than Mike Trout. Yes, correct. I, stay, I'll I even agree. take a step further to, to meet you halfway on this. Pound for pound,
1: dollar for dollar, when Trout's healthy, he might still be a better Mike player. Mike Trout's a better defensive player.
2: And no, but Mike he Trout. might even still be a better offensive player. He might well, be. My point is, is I, but he's not I healthy. Get it. I get what you're saying, but I don't think you can also fault somebody like, okay, this back thing came out and that's like, I mean, they said that his career could be over now. They said yeah. it's not, but they didn't even know what it was. So I'm not, and I'm not saying, listen, injuries are part of the game. So yes, you have to, you have to include them you know, in, in a player's career. Yes, I agree. But my point is, as far as the championship you can't blame Mike Trout for the fact that the Angels have been one of the most inept organizations in baseball. How would you not be able to surround him with talent? You have Otani and Mike Trout and you still can't win. What does that say about the organization? Here, I mean, here's if you, my take. You team. want to look at it? It's the pitching. They always ignore pitching. Okay. When is it's the a last, fair point. Can I ask you when the last starter that the Angels have had that it's even won 15 games? I,
1: honestly, I'm unprepared to, to answer the question. I'm admittedly, unprepared to answer the question.
2: I know I'm just with saying, you. I, I agree, agree with I you. Ignore bro. pitching to the point where it's like almost like let's just hit the ball and, and expect to win. And you know, you as a baseball purist know, especially when it comes down to playoffs, pitching is more important than offense in the playoffs, I believe. And that's why I all that's why right now I believe that the Mets still do have the best shot at winning a World Series because of that top two. The Grom and Scherzer, if they're both healthy. Are probably two of the best pitchers in baseball right now. I like yeah. the Phillies. I like the Phil, I like Wheeler and Nolan, but they're not Scherzer and DeGrom. They're maybe well, let's go back to what you were now. saying with the Angels, Jay. I agree
1: with you. And again, you were starting to flip out on me, basing it like I'm saying, I'm not oh flipping out on you. That's well, part I mean, of the church. I'm not dude. saying that because Trout didn't win a World Series, that's like the period on the sentence. And so no, not saying that at all. I agree with you. You're not giving me a chance to tell you that I actually agree. I was just using it as like a part of the resume. That's it. And it is something when a guy's under 23 years old has put up those kind of numbers and won a world series. I mean, come on, dude, if we're going to talk about Derek Jeter's legacy, we're not going to ignore the five rings. Are we? Well, that's
2: all I'm saying. Well, that's I will tell I'm you, saying. I will tell you a player that will probably be able to bitch in a couple of years. And that's Ronald Acuna, who probably did the dumbest thing and signed that deal at the beginning of his deal. And I'm not saying Ronald Acuna is as good as Juan Soto, But, dude, you can't say that Ronald Acuna isn't when he went through the injury that he went through. Obviously, that takes a while to come back from in baseball. And it still happened at a young enough age that I think Ronald Acuna, if you look at his trajectory of his career, if you want to talk about that, he might not be Juan Soto-esque because he does strike out a lot. But he has other things that Juan Soto doesn't. He has the speed. He has still has with all that leg injury. He has over, I think he's approaching he's got like 22 film. steals. Yeah. His power is down right now. I, I agreed. I mean, you look, he only has nine home runs. But I'm just saying, in general, if somebody's gonna bitch a year or two from now, it'll probably be him, because he signed that. Didn't he sign like a like a 200 million dollar? And it was like, yeah, like he he, he took a real
1: team-friendly deal. I hope Acuna gets back, because I've been watching him this year. He definitely doesn't look the same player right now, but like you said, it takes a while to come back from that injury. I think we'll see Acuna back on that. Before the injury, you're right. I mean, Soto and Acuna were like 1-1-A one and one a, as far as like this young talent. He's definitely not... I, I don't know if he's playing a little bit scared of the injury or holding back a little bit, but he's definitely not what he was, but I do I think, just he'll think he'll get He'll, be, he'll yeah.
2: be the guy that'll be upset in all this, because... <laughs> yeah, it's relieving him out. such a low contract. But yeah. But, but one more thing about Trout.
1: Uh, again, one knock on Trout was when he took the deal. I, like, you're talking about Soto. You, you, okay, you can't play both sides of the fence. On one hand, you're like, Mad Soto turned the deal down. But then we talked about, was it market value? We got to look through, through that spectrum. But then when you come back and say, oh, well, maybe he turned it down because they gutted the team, which I think could have a lot to do with it. And they didn't have to trade him. They still had two more years to work out a deal if they rebuilt the team and Soto said, wow, we might win now. They didn't have to trade him now. They chose to trade him. That's not on Juan Soto. And one thing about Mike Trout, when I brought the when, brought the argument up, because you brought Trout up, I remember a lot of whispers about people criticizing Trout for taking that contract in Anaheim because they don't build winners. People were like, oh, he's more concerned with playing in obscurity, you know, as uh, versus coming to like New York or L.A. with the Dodgers or Philadelphia or Boston and playing under the spotlight. Mike Trout, in fairness, that can be used against him. You could argue the other side. He's loyal. He signed a deal with the team that drafted him. I'm not taking one side or the other. I'm just pointing out the arguments. I've heard them. That's all I'm saying. So if you're going to play that side of the fence and then play the other one, you got to look at all the arguments. You did it with Soto, dude. You did it. you got to do it with Trout. It's only fair.
2: Anyway. Fair enough.
1: Moving on, moving on. We'll get into this really quick. Um, okay. No, you know what? We'll move on. Okay. D- 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 I was going to get into something else with the baseball, but we'll, we'll go. We spent a lot of time. Let's do Deshaun. Bro, Deshaun Watson, they had the independent arbitrator. Obviously, we know the story. He was accused of, like, sexually assaulting 25 women, whatever it is, what that he hired for massages. You know, he he settled with, like, 21 of 22 of them. One of them still has an outstanding civil suit against him. He settled, dude. I mean, that tells me something, that there's smoke. I already said, where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, it, this was, like, too much. And he settled it. I mean, I don't know, dude. The NFL hands down a six-game suspension. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, my thoughts are, uh, you know, the NFL is a disgrace. We've talked about it as far as their levels of punishment and how it's divvied out and how they come to these conclusions on the punishments. Obviously, this was an independent arbitrator, so I don't know if you necessarily can fault the NFL, but yet this is where I do fault the NFL. If the NFL knew all along that they wanted a one-year suspension, then why go to the arbitrator? Why not just do it yourself? This actually makes the NFL look like Absolute buffoon. Because now I don't it's know enough. Is that like a legal process they have to take? I don't, I know. don't know either. In fairness, so you're right. I, I'm i just talking about how it appears optic wise to me. It looks like the NFL like went to the outside arbitrator, but now the outside arbitrator didn't come up with an a, a decision they may the decision that do
1: that. I think they may have had to do that because I do know that the that the way it works now, the NFL can appeal it, which they are, and the way the collective bargaining the 2020 collective bargaining agreement works is again i the one thing i don't know is did it have to go to the arbitrator first i'm gonna guess it did because i know moving
2: forward the nfl can appeal it which they are and then now the final say comes down to the commissioner and that's fine and okay if the nfl wants to to sit here and say okay we care about women we're we're gonna make a stand finally well maybe it's 25 years too late don't you think Aaron I mean maybe the NFL should have done this a long time ago if they're trying to like act like they're trying to do the right thing it to me it's only to protect their brand it's not because they care about women or they want to actually do the right thing because if that was the case this would have been done a while ago when it came to punishment I think that the NFL like I said to me it's absurd I don't care that Calvin Ridley was suspended for a year for gambling I think he deserves that but if you're going to suspend somebody a year for gambling then you damn well need to suspend this guy longer for what he did because it's worse even though gambling is bad yes it is but he didn't well, is gambling bad the- it's not that gambling's bad it's just not, on bad on court. Court. It's not like he gambled on the Falcons that would be even yes. worse yeah, but let's not say gambling is bad. Millions of Americans gamble but when you're in bed with gambling as you make money off of it, the NFL profits from gambling and now you suspend. Yeah, that's that to me what, is that's yeah, is, the is, issue. Okay, but, but my point is is the Sean Watson should be suspended longer. So when you come out with a six-game suspension, to me, that just looks like a disgrace. But like I said, the independent arbitrator is the one that came up with that. Now the reason that they did was because there's no precedence from the NFL. The NFL didn't have different guidelines for it. So this was actually the longest suspension for a domestic-type thing like this. So what does that tell you? That tells me that the NFL— Here's my thing. Let's digress. I've talked about it on the show before. I
1: walk a fine line when it comes with the domestic stuff because I believe that certain things that are personal— if they're not crimes per se, are personal. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, like, say somebody has a dispute with their wife and there's a there's a domestic charge and the wife and the husband settle it privately, I don't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be able to work. Like, I, I it doesn't mean I'm defending any action. It just means I don't get, like, as hardcore as like, oh, this guy should never play again. He no longer has a right to earn a living. He's He no longer has a, a right to rehabilitate himself or his public image, he has no right to atone for his mistake. Let's cancel the guy that I'm against that. I've always been against it. You know how I feel about it. I believe people deserve second chances. I believe people sometimes make mistakes. I believe sometimes people deserve the benefit of the doubt because not all stories are true. And there's three sides to every story. There's yours, mine, and the the truth. Sometimes we just see like a little video of the last thing that happened and we have no idea what led up to the whole thing. Right. And, And domestic violence can work both ways. We don't always know. So I, I I I I woke a little finer line with you on that I don't have this hard stance like I know you want Odubo Herrera off the Phillies I Ho, Jose Reyes I had a, a dispute with his wife but him and his wife settled it I remember a lot of Mets fans didn't want Reyes on the Mets but this but is him a, and his wife settled Watson's it.
2: wife this is 26 no, and, and that's
1: where I'm going with it that that's where I'm going this is different this is different this isn't like a domestic dispute this is like a guy that Clearly looks like a serial predator, Jay. That's why I'm I'm getting here. This isn't like, oh, Deshaun Watson had an argument with his girlfriend, and the police were called, and they settled it, and the NFL wants to hand down a six-game suspension. That's where I'm, like, losing my mind here. The inconsistencies are crazy. We've seen guys like Kareem Hunt suspended. We saw Ray Rice's career ended for for domestic stuff. Uh, Other guys come to mind. But in baseball and in football, what's that? Tyree Kill. Tyree kill, but you know, him to a lesser extent, but I mean, we've seen guys basically canceled for like domestic stuff that was resolved and all parties settled it amenably. And it was family stuff in many cases. And there was a lot of background in some of the stories. It was smart. It was like heat of the moment, crime of passion type shit. Deshaun Watson was a predator. He was hiring women for massages to then basically try to sexual assault them. And he did it in excess of 20 times. And then he settled with over 20 of them. And Houston was in bed with him. They set up the massages and then tried to cover it all up. There's a lot of layers to this, Jay, that make it different. And it's criminal activity. How is he getting only a six-game suspension? Now, granted, like you said, the independent arbitrator and now the NFL is probably going to make it a year suspension. But honestly, dude, I was I, I was surprised he was even going to be able to play at all. I thought this... If there was ever a guy that deserved to be canceled, it seems like him. And I'm against cancel culture. Like, what's going on here?
2: You know? It's crazy, Jay. You get what I'm saying? Are we on the same page? I think we both agree. I mean, and listen, I don't wish – I mean, I don't wish people to be canceled. I don't wish people to, like, be looked at as the biggest scumbags of the earth. But to me, Deshaun Watson's a scumbag. If there is any scumbag, it's him. And I could care less if people don't like me saying that because he is. The guy's a scumbag. If that was my girlfriend that he did that to, I'd be freaking pissed off. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't anybody? But just because Absolutely. he's an NFL quarterback, like, you know, he, he, he we shouldn't be able to criticize him for that? Yeah. Fucking, and I, I can't sorry. believe the Browns got in bed with him. I can't stand Deshaun Watson. I never will like him. I mean – yeah, I'm sure people will draft him in fantasy football. Unfortunately, I have him on one of my teams, a, a dynasty team. But I, I don't like the guy as a person. I don't. And that's my prerogative. If it, Listen, I don't care if he wasn't convicted of a crime. The fact that he settled with women, these women that, that said this, shows me that there was a lot there. Well, that's and why he wasn't convicted. Fire. Exactly. <laughs> Although, so actually, maybe so, not. They were civil suits. Neither here nor there. But well, don't, yeah, but don't give me the, the bullshit that innocent until proven guilty. Because all these people that are out there, in, like, defending Deshaun Watson, I would like to know what their feelings are on, the, on sexual predators, on people that, you know, go after women and do such things to women. I would like to know their opinion on that. Because if you're going to defend a the guy, then why are you defending him? I'd like to know why. And if your answer is because innocent until proven guilty, then that's horseshit. Because like you said, the only reason that he wasn't convicted is he did settle civil suits. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk talk about some more NFL. Another
1: another (laughs) NFL uh, debacle here. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins penalized. Now to me, this kind of just like goes more along the whole Deshaun Watson thing. Deshaun Watson is a guy, like we just said, a sexual predator who basically committed crimes, and and he gets a six-game suspension, which might be a year after all this. The Miami Dolphins are accused of tampering for having talked to Tom Brady while he was still under contract first with the Patriots and then with Tampa Bay. And they lost a first-round pick this year and I think a third-round pick next year. And Stephen Ross, I think, is suspended for six games. Dolphins owner. He can't even be around the team. But, dude, you're losing draft picks, first-round picks. And the whole thing only became an investigation because of the Brian Flores thing. When Brian Flores was fired and he filed a lawsuit against the Dolphins and said that they offered him $100,000 per loss in his first season to tank so they can get a higher draft pick, which the investigation found wasn't true. If anything was said, obviously, for all, it all points to, like, joking around, like like guys in a room, like, shooting the shit and being silly. There was no seriousness to it. And if there was any truth to it, why did Brian Flores wait 2 years until after he was fired to make such an accusation? That's shady. Like I makes you seem like if it was true, he was in on it. But the investigation found it wasn't true, but the investigation led to this tampering investigation. And you know what? I'm not going to say that they didn't talk to Tom Brady because I remember in the last few years hearing whispers of like Tom Brady to the Dolphins. Like and it's almost like even Brady like said things and everybody always wondered if he was going to say it. Like, I remember there was some stuff with Brady recently that was he ever going to say what team he was talking about. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not remembering exactly. But my point is, if there's smoke, there's fire. Why are the Dolphins getting penalized like this? Why isn't Brady being investigated? Why isn't he facing any suspension? And I guess it's more boiling it down to, I'm not saying that if this happened, the rules are rules. Dolphins should be penalized. I got no problem with that. But it's like, I find it mind-boggling that the Dolphins are facing such harsh penalties for basically trying to make their team better, and then you have a Deshaun Watson getting a slap on the wrist for assaulting women, and Tom Brady walks off scot-free again.
2: Well, that's I've always been a big Brady. I love Tom the guy. Brady, but... How is Tom Brady not in trouble for this? Because uh, as, at least investigated. At least is he being investigated? I mean, doesn't it take two to tango? Didn't Tom Brady talk to so them? Why like does he, was he have contract? to be investigated if the, if the Dolphins are are getting penalized for tampering? They obviously were in talks with the guy. That's what I mean shouldn't Brady at the very least be
1: investigated.
2: Isn't that clear? hear nothing of it. It's 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 the NFL hypocrisy. Isn't that collusion? That's what I mean and we've talked about and this is where you and I do agree. I know we we, we disagree a lot which that's we're best friends, we bought ads. I love you to death. We disagreed on Mike Trout, but we love agree you too, that the NFL is a disgrace when it comes to inconsistencies in in everything that they do. Everything that the NFL does It's so in- inconsistent. inconsistent. And but yep. yet, you know why? they can get away with that inconsistency because they make so much money. I mean, the NFL makes the world go around today, if you think about it. The NFL is, like, basically here, and then every other sports league is here, if you really look at it. Because think about it. Think what it does. I mean, this is an exciting time of the year. I know you're excited. We're excited Super about excited. Football, Oh, yeah. Echo Beach. You know, the Echo Beach League is coming our, back. Our Fantasy We're League. We're excited <laughs> about all this stuff. But, but in reality, on the surface, when you talk about the NFL, it's like, Oh my god! Like, why can't they get their shit together? Yeah, you know what it is. I think because they've become so powerful that they're not being held
1: accountable. They don't have to be consistent. People are going to watch it anyway. People are going to tune in anyway. I mean, and that's a problem. That's a problem. It doesn't. I'm, and again, I, I'm not saying Miami shouldn't be penalized, but then can we get it? Can we get it straight? Can the can the penalties across the board have some consistency? Can there be some definition? we got I Adam, do, C. Adam time chiming in here.
2: Roger Goodell is a douchebag. He should be gone, too. Hey, I think we'd all agree with that. I definitely <laughs> agree. I think Roger Goodell has been the worst commissioner of the NFL, but just my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. We're about out of time. It's time for the picks sure. of the week.
1: I know it's been a real sports show, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave you with a little bit of metal. Uh, who's going first, Jay? Me or you? You, as always. All right. Fair enough. I'm I'm taking another track from Ozzy's upcoming album, Patient Number Nine. It was released a few weeks ago, Uh, and the reason I'm going to use this track for my pick of the week is because it's awesome, and I really think this upcoming Patient Number Nine album is shaping up to be like another great Ozzy record. And you know, Ordinary Man came out a couple years ago. Patient Number Nine again is produced by Andrew Watt, and Ordinary Man to me was a huge comeback. And Ozzy looks like he's like The Walking Dead. For him to be able to put out this kind of quality material is blowing my mind, especially after some of the weaker material he had put out, in my opinion, since Osmosis. I mean, I Down to Earth, couple great tracks. Black Rain, couple great tracks. He had the Covers album, Undercover. I didn't care for it. I mean, to me, this is like Ozzy returning to form in many ways. And this new track, Degrad- Degradation Rules, Degradation Rules is the new track. That's my pick of the week. It's got Tony Iommi um, from black Sabbath on it. And it actually sounds more like black Sabbath to me than anything on the 13 album from black Sabbath. So that's my pick of the week. It's called degradation rules. It's the new track that Ozzy dropped from the upcoming patient number nine album. Um, Ozzy rock on degradation rules. Tony Iommi, check it out. Don't miss it.
2: What's your pick? Jay, what do you got? Love it. Well, I'm going back to the well. Once again, obviously this is kind of part two of uh, the last show. Um, I'm going with some megadeth. And obviously the long anticipated album that is coming out, The Sick, The Dead, and the Dying. Or I'm sorry, The Sick, The Dying, and the Dead, uh, which will be out actually the same day as Ozzy's new album, September. Yep. And the track is called Night Stalkers. And let me tell you, I got excited when I heard we'll be back. And I know you were excited as well. And we talked about that track. Dude, Absolutely. Night Stalkers, even better. Dude, this is like classic thrash metal. Like, if there's music that I'm hearing that's music to my ears, I mean, this record is gonna be fucking a beast. Because Night Stalkers actually it, it reminds me obviously, you go back to the to, to to my kind of favorite era of Megadeth, which was basically Peace sells, but who's buying, Rusted Peace, that little run, and the count, you know, countdown to extinction. Obviously, countdown was more progressive and, and you know mainstream, but Night Stalkers to me is absolute beast of a thrash record. I mean, it starts off with that, like just nasty thrash. And then obviously he brings back Ice T, who I I absolutely love. And I know Ice T and Dave Mustaine are actually like really close. They're like almost best friends. And I love when they kind of collaborate. He doesn't have a long part, but it's in the in the middle before the breakdown. And once again, like I said, I, I am so excited for this record. I can't wait. I love Dystopia, but this sounds like it's going to blow Dystopia out of the water. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's where I'm so at. So far, so good, man. Everything it's I've heard, perfect. I'm loving. So so that's my pick of the week, Night Stalkers for Megadeth. Check it out. And the albums will be out September, what, 9th?
1: Yes, I believe so. I have to double check. But, yeah, upcoming. Anyway, check them out, guys. That's our picks of the week. Anyway, guys, we hope you love the show. As always, it's a pleasure to be here for you. Hit us up on all our social medias, at Sports & Metal, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We want to hear from you. We want to hear questions from you. We want to hear your opinions about the show. If you have anything you want us to cover on the show, we want to hear about it. Hit us up. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, La Terrain Watches. Go to their website, www.laterrain.com. That's L-A-T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E.com. Use our promo code s That's the letters S M as in sports and metal. And you're going to save 10% off your purchase on a kick-ass watch. As always, rock on. See you next time.
0: And that's our show. Tune in next time for more sports and metal. Jason Voorhees, and Aaron Savage. Woo! yeah. Got something to say? Hit us up at Sports and Metal 0423 at Yahoo.com or on Twitter at Sports.